0: Now, in this talk, I want to start actually getting into the idea of spiritual gifts. That was where this whole thing is headed. And that's what the whole book, Life Lift, upon which these talks are based. That's what that book drives towards. Now, that said, you might have been following along in this information or you might have just dropped in right now because you wanted to learn more about spiritual gifts. So if that's you, and and despite where you are on that spectrum, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The good news is that if you've been going along with me for the entire time, we're finally here. The bad news is that, well, the gifts are presented in the Bible a bit more differently than we usually talk about them. Now, let me elaborate on that a bit. The most concise treatment that we find in Scripture about spiritual gifts is in 1 Corinthians 12. It's a passage in which they're not actually referred to as gifts at all. Now, it's actually good news that they're not, which is something that I'll explain in just a moment. Most English translations suggest that in Paul's writing, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, that he says something like, now about spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. Or, now about the gifts of the Spirit. I don't want you to be uninformed. But in the Greek language that Paul used, he actually wrote, now about pneumaticons. That's the word, pneumaticons. Or in English, it would just be, now about spirituals, or now about the spirituals. In other words, he didn't mention gifts at all. Now, you might recognize the word pneuma in pneumaticons. Uh, Pneuma is the word for both wind and spirit in Scripture. Uh, We see it today in words such as pneumatic tools, uh, tools that are powered by compressed air moving through hoses uh, at a really rapid speed. Uh, Throughout the New Testament, pneuma most often refers to the Holy Spirit. Now, a few sentences later, after this now about the spirituals, now about the pneumaticons, Paul actually, uh, well, English translators, they insert that word gifts again. They supply it for yet another Greek word that Paul uses. So he's, he's given us a second Greek word. The, the translation in your hand, if you're following along Scripture, it probably actually says something like, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 12.4. Paul's word this second time is actually charismata. A completely different word, even though we translate it in English the same. So, Paul has said now about the pneumaticons, and then he said there are different kinds of charismata. Now Earlier uh, in this whole series, I think it was in talk number five, I discussed the word charis or, or grace and how charismata It literally means the expressions of grace. That, that concept, it really fits nicely with Paul's encouragement in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that grace, charis, it saves you not your good deeds that save you, and that that same grace, that same chorus, it also empowers you to live the destiny that God has created for you, a path of good works for you to walk in. In other words, the grace expresses itself in the things that you do every single day. But let's keep digging, because I promise this is going to sound like a lot of information, like I'm tossing the kitchen sink at you, literally you like that phrase, everything but the kitchen sink? I'm throwing the kitchen sink also. But all of these nuggets are going to start stacking together rarely nicely and make this great band of jewelry if you can hang with me for a moment. Now, 1 Corinthians 12.5, the translation that I read, it says... Uh, there are varieties of service. So differing gifts in 1 Corinthians twelve four, differing charismata, but varieties of service. Th- that word service misses the mark a bit also. It emphasizes that the gifts are something that we do. Now, well, service is certainly an action. The Greek word here is diuresis. It means appointment, as if God himself set you in a specific place as part of a bigger design. I I actually like that line better. That is a great concept. In the next sentence, Paul tells us there are varieties of energimaton, energies, divine power flows, which work through us, yet it's the same Lord that does this in each space that we've just discussed. Then in the next sentence, he tells us that the manifestation, literally... The appearing of the spirit of the pneumatos, get get that, that's a very similar word right there to pneumaticons, is being given. It is in process of being given. It is currently being given. He he doesn't refer to the gifts as a past or even a one-time event. He uses a present passive participle indicating that the Lord continues doing this to us. That is, it happens to you the Lord does the work yes we're eagerly deserve we're eagerly told to desire the spirituals not the spiritual gifts but the, the pneumoticons in first Corinthians 14:1 but when we put the pieces together here we realize a few important things about all of this okay so here's where the nuggets start fitting together and making the gold chain. let's read through the passage and I'm going to point out from first Corinthians 12:1 and 4 through 7 what he's saying? Now about the gifts of the Spirit, now about the pneumaticons, the spirituals, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There are different kinds of charismata, that is grace effects working through you, but the same spirit, pneuma, the same pneuma distributes them. There are different kinds of service, different kinds of diuresis, different kinds of appointments, but the same Lord in each space. There are different kinds of working Different kinds of energy, my time, divine power flows, but in all of them, in every one, it is the same God at work. That is an incredibly awesome passage of scripture. And he continues Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good of all. Now, if you look in the show notes, I put a graphic that has all of these words where you can kind of just look. You might want to look while you're following along and listening. So let me make, when you do that, just take an observation there, a couple of observations, a couple of points that I want you to see. The first is this, we can't separate the spirit from the spiritual gifts. You cannot separate the pneuma from the pneumaticons. They're not two different things, as if you can have one without the other. Spiritual gifts are actually God's presence in us working through us. We saw that in that entire passage that we just read. The gifts are not something separate from God himself. They are how God moves himself through each of us. Now, maybe just a footnote. I think the armor of God works the same way. When you pray that protection over yourself and your family, God isn't providing you with something extraneous to himself. He gives you a part of who he is. You can see that in Ephesians 6, 11 and following. I think back through a few concepts. I've talked about these uh, really over the past several episodes of this podcast. Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to fill us and to empower us to live as his ambassadors on earth in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He said that the Spirit is literally his presence in us, and that the Spirit helps us remember the things he taught, the Spirit gifts us to do the things he did while he was on the earth, and the Spirit allows us to experience the Father's nearness. He says that in John 16, 12 through 16. In other words, you can't separate what the Spirit does from whom the Spirit is. Another concept is new creations. And you might remember the difference between the word canos and neos. As new creations, our Father moves away from the old habits. He moves us from our old habits and hang-ups and addictions and anger uh, from the things that have kept us from being everything He created us to be. This happens because we're completely transformed. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new canos, new creations, and our spirits are now one with His, according to 1 Corinthians 6.17. There's no separation between us and God. He rebuilds us from the inside out, filling our minds, filling our emotions, and filling our bodies with grace and goodness. We're reborn of incorruptible seed, is what 1 Peter one twenty three says, now standing in the bloodline of Jesus instead of the fallen line of Adam. So at that point, what I'm saying is you can't separate who we are from the spirits inside of us. So you see, um, now the spirit empowers us to walk with the same power of Jesus. That is the lord doesn't call us to do a supernatural thing in our own strength he calls us to do a supernatural thing and then he gifts us with the power that enables us to reach beyond our human capacity to do something that is a god capacity or you could say it another better way he gives us the presence of himself we experience that power as we walk with a greater awareness of that presence Now, when you start putting these concepts together, what what you see is that this might be why Paul resisted treating the gifts as something distinct from the Spirit. Uh, Quite simply, you can't separate the two. It's impossible to have one without the other. So in the remainder of this talk, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to create, number one, a working definition of what spiritual gifts are, uh, even though that term is not in the Scripture to help us Understand it. um, I would like to the next episode create maybe a gift list, and and then and then one after that probably start setting some guardrails around our definition, making a few observations about what these gifts, what these pneumoticon's are, and what they're not. So uh, let me go through the working definition. But but by now you have an idea of what they are. Uh, Again, I'm, I'm not overly excited about using the term gift because the imprecision of language makes it seem as if the gift is something separate from the presence of the Lord. But for the sake of easy communication, I'm going to use that term. You'll just know, and I'll just know that we're talking about something that's relationally connected to the spirit himself. So here's a working definition. I've got a great graphic of this in the show notes also. Spiritual gifts are the presence and power of God expressing himself through his redeemed children to empower them for the work of ministry to the church and the work of mission to the world. I'll read it again. Spiritual gifts are the presence and power of God, expressing himself through his redeemed children to empower them for the work of ministry to the church and mission to the world. Now let's work through that definition, making a few points to help clarify what I'm trying to communicate. Okay. First point, spiritual gifts are the presence of God. Now, I know I continue boomeranging back to that concept that the gifts are the presence of the Spirit Himself, but I wanna make sure that you catch it. Number two, second point, spiritual gifts are the power of God. So they're not just the presence of God. Number two is they're the power of God. They're supernatural. Jesus calls us to do a great work, the humanly impossible task of restoring all things to Himself, but thankfully, He baptizes us in a Spirit and I use that word, baptizes us, submerges us in a spirit, thereby granting us equipment comparable, equal to the task that we've been called to. Third, third point, spiritual gifts are relational. So they're the presence of God. They're the power of God. I don't have a P word in it right here. They're relational. They're literally God expressing himself through his people to connect other people to his love. Since they're relational, they function best in the context of, like we discussed in the previous talk, relationships. That is, it's extremely difficult to connect to the head, Christ, in a healthy way if you aren't connected to his body in a healthy way. That's his church. Fourth, spiritual gifts are a relational expression of God that works through his redeemed children. So whereas your talents and created design are given to you when you're born, first birth, Your spiritual gifts come with the Holy Spirit when you're born again, the new birth, the second birth. That's when that relationship really fires up and solidifies, and there's no separation between you and the Spirit. Number fifth, number fifth, number five, or fifth, spiritual gifts are for the church. That is, they're for ministry. Now, if you recall the Ephesians 4 passage that I referenced in the previous talk, Paul explains that Jesus gives equippers, that, that is, apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists, he gives them to his church to empower that church to grow up into the measure of Christ. That is, Jesus envisions his church walking as a mirror reflection of him on the earth. Our gifts, they enable us to do that so ministry really define that as work inside the four walls of the church work inside the church but the gifts are designed only to be used in the church for the church that leads us to the next point the final one the sixth point about our working definition Sixth, spiritual gifts are for the world that is they're for mission so let me define my words i'm I'm using the term ministry to refer to serving inside the church And I'm using the word mission to denote serving outside of the church. Ministry is inside, mission is outside. Both of those words are important. Now, I used to think that the ministry side was more urgent, um, that the church needed to be healthy and whole first so that she could go on mission. Now, I don't necessarily see things that way. Ministry versus mission is not an either-or proposition. Nor is it a do this now, then do that later type of thing. So it's not we do ministry and they do mission or they do mission and we do. When I was leading a church when I was in my mid-20s, that was a big fight. You know, like, oh, hey, this is a missional church. That's the word they would use. Oh, and that one's just focused on themselves, on ministry. Well, you, you, you need to do both. Like both are important. And then sometimes people say, well, we're going to do ministry first. We're going to get our church healthy, and then we'll go reach the world. No, it's not a do this now and then do that one later on, nor, get this, should ministry and mission be reduced to programs and events that the church leadership schedules on the calendar? So you might look at it and go, well, there's a mission emphasis, or there's a mission trip, or there's a ministry event. This should be infused through all of life. Remember, like... Christ came to express himself through you wherever you go. You live the presence of Christ. Now, you know, if I was forced to choose which one's more important, just a guess, mind you. My guess would be more believers are empowered to serve outside of the church on mission than inside the church. Uh, Now, church leaders really like ministry. Church leaders, we like to make sure that we have enough people directing people traffic in the parking lot. We like to make sure that we have enough greeters stationed at the doors. We like to make sure that we have enough volunteers enlisted to maintain the nurseries and kids classes, that we have enough people to run small groups or Sunday school teachers, and we have enough ushers to run the service. In other words, we like things to make sure that our church programs run efficiently, that we like ministry. But here's, here's the problem with that perspective, uh, two problems. Problem number one is we often reduce ministry itself to organizational structure. That that is, we wrongly laser focus ministry on the things that we can put on a calendar. Now for sure, I'm pro-organization and I'm radically for structure. I I thrive on it, I thrive in it. But but most of the gifts expressions that we see are relational and abstract. They're far less concrete than how we normally think. Um, For instance, here's part of the problem, it's easy to schedule a committee meeting. Committee meeting is not on the gift list but it's not easy to schedule a word of knowledge, which is one of the speaking words where the Lord moves through and gives a word timely fashion. We'll talk about those in an upcoming episode. It's easy to schedule cleaning crews, host teams, uh, youth chaperones, all that stuff, not on the gift list, but it is not easy to schedule discernment or interpretation of some kind of insight that takes time and space. Again, I'm pro-structure, and I wholeheartedly believe the Lord uses all these gifts in all of those areas and committees and His chaperones and His scheduled things. The fact, though, is that most ministry does not fit in a schedule, and when we reduce it to a schedule, we're missing a significant chunk, really, of what I think the Lord wants to do. You look at the life of Jesus when He's ministering in the four Gospels, and you think, how much of what He does is actually on a schedule? And then you look and you see, well, goodness, he's not really in a hurry to get anywhere. And then then you look and see, my goodness, a lot of his ministry happens when he's interrupted, a woman with a flow of blow, interrupting while he's on the way to go do something else. And then it's just this constant, slow, steady pace of being connected to others as the Spirit moves through him in all these appointed times where time and space don't seem to be the most important thing. The people that are there, too. Now, let me give you problem number two. Um, we often define and confine the call to the four walls of the church. That's wrong, too. That, that's not our intent, but that seems to be the result. Um, so I've, I've got this graphic. I'm going to put it in the show notes. And what it shows is that uh, it just demonstrates that there are gifts that are for ministry. They're internal and mission, external use. And both are important. Both are, are radically important. Um, now, I've sat through countless new members classes in churches. That's the kind where the church leaders take a few weeks, generally four weeks, to teach you about the distinctives of their congregation. They generally tell you who they are, what they do, how they do it. And I'm actually in favor of these. I think they're a great way for people to quickly see if the particular church is a good fit for them and their family without having to spend months trying to figure it out. More churches should host them and should proactively communicate their mission and vision. But during these classes, here's kind of the contradictory thing. Most leaders generally say everyone is called to do something. Many of them even give you a few assessments and spiritual gifts inventory tests, like the ones I've placed in the Life Lift book and the ones I've placed on my website that you can just download and, and look and take and learn and discover more about yourself after taking those assessments, and many times people even carve out time in the class that, hey, this is important, let's all take this. And after taking them, they generally ask you what you would like to do to serve in that church. Now notice the disconnect there. Everyone is called. Everyone is empowered to reach the world. The church is called to reach the world, but everyone needs to serve in this church. The truth is maybe they don't. Maybe they should serve somewhere else. You see, if a, if a physician could be just as called as an apostle, different calling, but the same God who calls, uh, same a pointer of places, God working through each of those places and spaces. If, if a banker can be just as called as a prophet, if a craftsman can be just as called as a pastor, and, and in fact, uh, in a couple episodes, you'll see that the first person in scripture that was gifted to do something with the spirit of God was not a pastor or a prophet. It was a craftsman. If those are all true, then maybe we don't need to have all those people serving inside the four walls of the church. Maybe we need to help them discover their, their gift mix, then trust the spirit who expresses himself through those gifts and that mix to lead those people to the precise place where they need to implement his expression through them. You see, because, because these are spirituals. They are the presence and power of God working through us in relational ways. They empower us to do the work of ministry to the church, and they empower us to do the work of mission to the world. These are also, they're they're the pneumaticons, that they are the charismata. They are the expressions of grace. They are the diuresis. They are the unique appointments, placements, where God has, from before time began, save people by grace, but then appointed for them to walk in some great work that He has intentionally designed, intentionally, meticulously blueprinted for them. And so it makes sense to help them find that diuresis, that appointment, that places where He wants them to bring His presence. And most often, I think that's outside the four walls of the church. And I would say that when we do, those gifts are the inner gematon. They are the divine energy flow of how God works uniquely through each of us. With that, let's sign off. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord be gracious and shine His face a favor upon you. May you feel the new m- modicons, the, the spirituals, the presence of God flowing through you. May there be this unique charismata, this expression of grace whereby you realize the diureses that you are appointed and placed somewhere, and that He has a, a specific design for you to make your mark that is His mark, that is your mark, that is His mark working through you on this world. And as you do that, may you do it with energy time with the divine energy flow grace, peace, shalom.